Hi, welcome back to Eight Words or Less. This is the podcast series that distills leadership and management books into, surprise, surprise, Eight Words or Less. Some of you know me already. I'm Sammy and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm James. I'm your other host. So this episode, I think it's going to be an interesting one because it feels to me like you've been assigned a challenging book to distill into eight words. Tell me, how did it come about and why the book? I'm ready for the challenge. So Celine Cousteau, who is our leader joining us next week for the bonus episode, she's just published her latest book, Le Monde Après Mon Grand-Père, The World After My Grandfather. And I asked Celine, if you had to choose a book that inspired you above all others, what would it be? And it was The Power of Myth. And would you believe some of my associates even teach this on MBA programs? The book came from these interviews that Joseph Campbell did with Bill Moyers, I believe. And it was a series of six interviews just before his death, actually, as it happened. And they were so fascinating and so interesting. What I understand is the book actually came from those. He describes himself as a maverick. I mean, he's one of the greatest modern thinkers and influencers around mythology, folklore, and comparative religion. And his theories have been taken and applied to a wide variety of writers, artists, and filmmakers. Most notably, and especially for me, given I'm a huge Star Wars fan, he was credited by George Lucas as being the critical influence for the whole Star Wars saga. Um, and the, the films that we were just talking about were actually filmed at the um, Skywalker, La- uh, Skywalker Ranch, I believe. What I found interesting as well, reading a bit into his background, Sammy, so he, I think, was born at the start of the 20th century, and lived through the Great Depression. And he describes um, living in a a shack, I believe, outside of New York. And for five years, he he said he did nine solid hours of reading a day, um, which is, I think, quite an extreme example of an intensive and and rigorous independent study. Um, As I said, the the book comes from these these series of interviews uh, that are split into six episodes each for about an hour length. Um, And this this individual, this gentleman, Bill Myers, is interviewing Joseph Campbell. I think they have this incredible rapport. And it is such uh, an incredible breadth of topics that they cover, focusing on Campbell's core philosophies, though, things like the hero's adventure and the hero with a thousand faces to the concept of of the monomyth, if you like, a a sort of common thread that runs through all mythologies, and Campbell's idea of of following the bliss. I think essentially Campbell argues that we've, we've lost the power of myth in the modern world, and that according to him, this explains many of the challenges, the feelings perhaps of, of emptiness occasionally that some of us experience, and, and perhaps the, the fact that we're obsessed with things of outer value, money, status, and, and we forget the most important things in, in Campbell's mind that's around inner value and internal development. So, Sammy, really interested for the discussion and interesting to hear what your central message is. My central message is be the hero of your journey. Fantastic. Be the hero of your journey. And your first petal. My first petal is the power of storytelling. So some might say, why do we need mythology? You know, all those Greek gods and stuff. But as you said, James, according to Campbell, it's that stuff that actually lines the walls of our beliefs. There was a time when Greek and Latin literature used to be part of nearly everybody's education. And when these subjects were dropped, 
a whole tradition of mythological information was lost, but the symbols of mythology and legend are all around us. He says, we dance to it even if we don't know the song. They're embedded into the fabric of our daily lives. Consider the position of judges, for example. If this position were just a role, the judge would wear a grey dress or suit to court instead of wigs and robes. For law to hold authority beyond mere coercion, the power of the judge must be ritualised. When a judge walks into the room and everybody stands up, you're not standing up to that person. You are standing up to the robe that they're wearing and the role that they're going to play. Mythology gives us metaphors for human experience. They grab us deep down and communicate in a language that all of humanity understands. And as an ex-Disney employee or cast member, should I say, the Imagineers, as in Mickey ears, know that we are not separate from the characters that we see in movies. They are us, and they inspire us to be better versions of ourselves. And of course, we've been telling stories before we even had language by drawing on cave walls and then sharing them across cultures and through the ages as we search for truth, meaning and significance. A couple of years ago, business woke up to the power of storytelling in leadership. It turns out when imparting this learning to leaders in business, we found that this ancient and natural human activity is both an art and a science. Stories, we say, are a powerful universal language that can be used to provide context and meaning, to convey a message through symbolism, implicit links that allow people to make their own connections and resonance. And they can be pulled from anywhere in our lives. When working with leaders, I invite them to think about the first time they tried something, or the worst time, keeping it clean, of course. (laughs) They say we know more about outer space than inner space, but the brain research is fascinating. It suggests that stories have the potential to induce neurotransmitters and hormones into our brains to stimulate an audience, which of course makes an idea easier to communicate. And as you take listeners through the so-called story arc, vulnerable sharing allows people to identify with you, empathy, connection and trust are built through the release of oxytocin, and even more happiness chemicals are released if you offer light-hearted moments through endorphins. It's so true, Sammy. And one of the things that I thought really reinforced it as as I was internalising, all the way through, Joseph Campbell talks about how, how strong the similarities are with the myths across all cultures and with the storytelling across all cultures. He talks about the Native American uh, story about how there was um, uh, a sacrifice of an, an elder planted in the ground to give corn. And he compares that to an example in Polynesia where there was a similar story of someone sacrificed by drowning, I believe. Uh, and then there was a coconut tree with coconuts. And and it was one small example, but but all the way through, he litters this presentations with examples of how the common themes of stories have always been with us. And it made me think of when we were talking to John Flint, Sammy, and how he said, you know, this was an, a thing that's old as humanity itself, but it was one of his greatest lessons that no one remembers a single PowerPoint you've ever given. But the stories you tell, they do land. People do remember them. Absolutely. And surely imagination is envisaging something that's bigger than us. And yet I find in business, we perhaps overvalue the rational 
more than that imagination, which is ironic when working with teams looking after innovation or creativity or curiosity. Perhaps even more, what I took from this was the idea of myth being the way in which you, a way in which humans can explain the unexplainable. And that, that um, acceptance of, of the fact that we don't know everything, that acceptance of, of an element of mystery in our lives, Campbell was saying is starting to, to disappear. And I thought that that was an interesting concept. And within business, maybe it speaks to the fact that we can't know everything. Yeah. And I think it's important to live life with some level of mystery. And I recognize that business is about seeking certainty for the commercial aspect. But mystery gives us zest. It gives us energy. Campbell would suggest it helps find out what's ticking in us to get us straightened out. And thinking in mythological terms can even erase anxiety, he said putting us in accord with our life, and we can see the positive values of what appears to be negative. So the heroes of our stories, James, are us. It's of course not about going to your teams and sharing about how you've succeeded and won at life. I don't mean that as being a hero. Nobody wants to hear those stories. But by nature of telling your stories about the crucibles, your challenges, the crisis that you overcame, the villain that you slay, You're coming back with a message for others to benefit from. That's what heroes do. And that's why be the hero of your journey. And your second petal. My second petal is about following your bliss. Campbell has some interesting views on purpose. What he does say is that wherever you are, follow your bliss. As leaders, we find ourselves always doing something that is required of us. And we've spoken on previous episode, James, about how do we create more space for deeper listening? How do we slow down to sense what needs to emerge or reveal itself to us so that we can be even more conscious leaders? And Campbell asks, where is your sacred place? What's your bliss station, to borrow his language? And it's an absolute necessity for anybody today. It could be a room, a garden shed, a garage. It could be a certain hour or so in the day where you don't know what happened on the news. You don't even know how your friends are. You don't know what you owe anybody or what they owe you. He says, get a phonograph, put on the music you really love, even if it's corny, or get the book you like to read, as he did, and then read and read until your mind falls into place and starts following you to a blissful place. This is a place, he says, where you can bring forth who you really are and what you could be. It's the place of creative incubation. But don't give up. In finding your bliss, it takes time. It reminds me of when I travelled to Bavaria to train on theta brainwaves. So in this neurofeedback training, I would first of all recognise the theta, and then I would try to grow it. And the way we do that is hooked up to electrodes I would sit in a light and soundproof chamber for hours and hours on end. Sounds a bit like lockdown in in Qatar. (laughs) Only uh, you pay for the lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) My coach would ask me in the breaks if if anything was happening. I mean, of course, you could see the data being produced. And I was like, nothing is happening. I mean, I'm really glad to be here. I'm loving the experience, but absolutely nothing is happening. I'm just sat there. And about four days into the experience, my ego started to come up 
and I was about to give up. It's a waste of time. Nothing's going to happen. You know, obviously this isn't for me. I don't have that brainwave, you know, all that egoistic speaking. And she suggested to me that maybe, just maybe, I was to threshold and my ego was going to stop me or could stop me from stepping through it. And it was that evening in the chamber, I had my kundalini awakening. Life has never been the same since, since I found that blissful place. And I guess that kundalini is for another podcast, but the point being, the place to find is within yourself. And at first you might find that nothing is happening, but if you have a sacred space and use it, eventually something will happen and you will be able to recognize and go there more often. I loved the concept of follow your bliss. I I took maybe a, a slightly more mundane, mundane is the wrong word, but when I was reading it, I, I liked what he was talking about, about the idea of if you follow your bliss, you put yourself on, on a kind of a track that has been there all the while waiting for you and the life that you ought to have been living, the one you are living. And wherever you are, if you're following your bliss, you will recognize that and you will feel more more peace as well. And a lot of that, he, he did talk about it. If you are if you are enjoying what you are doing, if you're getting a sense of satisfaction from your work, from your marriage, from your family life, you are following your bliss. Um, if the work you choose to do, is you've chosen because you've enjoyed it, then you found that your bliss is what I picked from him, what, what he said at one point. But if you think, oh, I couldn't do that, he uses this concept of a dragon representing an, an ego, I believe, um, uh, Sammy, which was interesting you were using the word ego. But the idea of a dragon, he differentiates between European dragon and, and Asian dragon. But but he says quite often that you will have this dragon saying to you, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I couldn't uh, be an entrepreneur. I couldn't start this. I couldn't go for that promotion. And he says that if, if you're going to follow your bliss, you have to you have to slay that dragon. You have to get rid of those things that are preventing you, those obstacles on that journey. Absolutely. And in the West, the dragon represents the, well, psychologically, the ego, because it's, it's protecting the cave of so-called treasures. Um, he used to teach in a boys' prep school, and when he would talk to the boys who were trying to make up their minds as to what careers they would do, a boy came up to him and said, do you think I can do this? Do you think I can do that? Another said, do you think I can be a writer? And Campbell would reply, I don't know. <laughs> but can you endure 10 years of disappointment with nobody responding to you? Or do you think that you will write the best seller the first crack? Now, if you have the guts to stay with it, no matter what, then go ahead. And something that really resonated with me was when he was teaching in St. Lawrence, before he was married, he used to eat out in restaurants for lunch and dinner. And one evening he was at his favourite restaurant. And at the next table, there was a father, a mother and a boy around the age of 12. And the father said to the boy, drink your tomato juice. The boy said, I don't want to. And the mum said, don't make him do what he doesn't want to. And the father looked at her and said, he can't go through life doing what he wants to. Look at me. I've never done a thing I wanted to in all of my life. And Campbell said, that's a man who never followed his bliss. There was a little bit that I found challenging on that actual particular story because it almost seems a tiny bit discordant to what he was talking about in terms of the importance of sacrifice and other elements, delayed satisfaction and I mean, as a father of two small children at the moment, I'm constantly having to say, no, you can't watch more TV or you can't you know, spend more time on the iPad. So there was a funny, I, I found that triggered me a little bit. I thought the example 
in a way was a little discordant to, to other messages that he was giving. Linked to this topic, Sammy, and you mentioned the, the different views that Joseph Campbell has around purpose. I, I was wondering what you picked up on that, because I really liked his concept. He says at one point that people say that we're seeking a meaning for life. But he says, I don't think that's what we're really seeking. I think that what we're seeking is an experience of being alive so that we actually feel, he uses the word, the rapture of being alive. He, he says, like, does a flower have meaning? Does it have, you know, do, do, you, do you, if you see a flower, does it have purpose? Um, and it's, it's about experience, not about chasing meaning. Did you, did you pick up on that? I was, I was interested to know how that aligns with your thoughts. Yeah, I see that. Well, I guess it's about living the adventure, the hero's journey, um, which is never easy, but it's something that he says is worth for all of us to to go on that experience. And he, he says, you may have had success in life, but what kind of a life was it? He offers us, go where your body and soul want to go. And when you have that feeling, stay with it and don't let anyone throw you off. And that's why be the hero of your journey. And your third and final petal? Petal number three is around the hero's journey or the adventure that we were just speaking about. So according to Campbell, a hero or heroine is someone who has transformed, who has given their life to something bigger than themselves or other than themselves. And in a way, everyone is a hero by transforming from being a water creature, if you like, an amniotic fluid to an air-breathing mammal. He says that's an enormous transformation. And I love how Campbell honours the primary hero as our mothers. There are actually 12 steps to the hero's journey. But if I break it down in the simplest form, the hero always departs. They leave from the ordinary world towards or for something. There are trials. There's a crisis point, a fulfilment, and then there is a return. A return back into the ordinary world but you're a changed being, having gone through that hero's journey. Stepping into leadership, living your true calling is in itself a transformation. We have to take the journey inside of us, he says, if we are to lose ourselves to be in service of others. And he offers us, you know, what's the safety net that you want to choose to let go of in order to challenge your limits or to challenge what we perceive to be possible. Because no matter how difficult the struggle, it's one of heroes, and we know from myths and stories there's no lasting reward without renunciation. And you were talking about the dragon. He's suggesting that the dragon is within ourselves. It's what we think we want. It's what we think we need or what we choose to value or what we regard ourselves as bound to or where we're heading on the hero's journey, if ever you think, well, I couldn't do that, I couldn't be that, then he suggests that that's the dragon that is waiting for you to slay it. I also liked, I mean, it's one of the elements that they talk about in hero's journey was the role of, I can't remember the exact word, but it's the role that of frequently it starts by an accident. So he, he actually brought up Star Wars at one point and how the fact that Luke Skywalker's journey started with the accident of the droids 
you know, falling in R2D2, playing the message, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I quite I quite liked it because it shows how much serendipity is involved in, in any and he, he brought up multiple examples. But he said that if you're aware for this, these these cues in a way that can appear, um, these accidents that can lead on on this journey, you need to take them when they appear, right? You need to follow them to them, you know, coming back to what we're talking about, to them be on that track that is following your bliss. So I quite like that because I think sometimes, uh, Sammy, we can we can be expecting, you know, our journeys, our own leadership journeys, our own careers to be very dictated, to be deterministic. But actually, there's always an element of chance. The critical thing is you, you take that step. And, and then what I picked up, and you mentioned this, is so much of the hero's journey that he describes is about that transformation, about moving from one state to another through your trial or through some form of sacrifice and coming back in, in a greater in a greater capacity with you know having grown as an individual, which you know it, it is an it is an extreme example, but in many ways your your development as a leader is very aligned with that. I love that. It reminds me of a famous line from Star Wars. Use the force, Luke, let go. And I guess that on our leadership journeys, if we quit thinking primarily about ourselves and our own self-preservation, we undergo that truly heroic transformation of consciousness, which we've said in previous episodes, authentic leaders go from me to we. He's got a beautiful quote. He says, the labyrinth is thoroughly known. We just need to follow the thread of the hero's path. And where we had thought to slay another, we will slay ourselves. And where we had thought to travel outward, we shall come to the centre of our own existence. And where we had thought to be alone, we should be with all of the world. And I guess in that sense, our greatest self is still hidden. And that's what I understand about the hero's journey and the adventure. It's the adventure of being alive. It's a beautiful quote, Sammy, and a great way to, to finish. And I suppose that's why, if, if I remember it rightly, you need to be the hero of your own journey. Is that correct? Be the hero of your journey. Thank you, James. And to the incredible Joseph Campbell, of course, all of our listeners too. Join us next week for the season finale, the bonus episode with Céline Cousteau. And as always, use the hashtag eight words or less to share your insights and experiences. And if you've not already done so, click subscribe so you can download our previous episodes and make sure you never miss a new one. Bye for now.